Welcome to Hammerama, the new podcast which views the world of hammer horror from opposite sides of the earth. I'm Al from New Zealand. And I'm Steve from Maryland, United States. And our opening track was the intro to the amazing House of the Gorgon by the equally amazing Reba Clark. Hammerama is a subsidiary of Stephen's award-nominated die-cast movie podcast, and as such, the subject of our discussions will similarly be decided by the cast of a die. Stephen deftly threw a one, which is Hammer's Dracula series, and so we begin at the beginning with Bracket, Horror of Bracket, Dracula. This is the story of Dracula. A creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. try and understand. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. The castle Dracula is summoned here in Klausenberg. Will you tell me how I get there? You order the meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you're eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. Now I'm just going to give a brief synopsis of the film for anyone who hasn't ever heard it before. Noble vampire Count Dracula, Christopher Lee, uncovers an insidious plot to murder him by Jonathan Harker, John Van Eysen, while posing as a librarian. The hapless Harker fails and is made one of the undead by the Count's lovely vampiress consort, played by Valerie Gaunt. But he then drives a stake through her heart in a fit of ingratitude. Dracula kindly gives him her coffin and leaves for Klausenberg to take Harker's own fiancée as a replacement. Leaving the castle, Harker's meddlesome employer, Dr. Van Helsing, played by Peter Cushing, strays in the way of the coach and then trespasses in Castle Dracula to stake the newly minted vampire Harker. The Count takes up residence at a Klausenberg undertaker and romances the willing Lucy Homewood, played by Carol Marsh, generously initiating her in the ways of vampirism, until Van Helsing appears to once again destroy a newborn vampire by staking Lucy. Not one to dwell on broken relationships, Dracula then woos her sister-in-law, the even more willing Mina Homewood, played by Melissa Stribling, and then moves into her cellar, all is well until Van Helsing yet again interferes, forcing the Count to flee back to Castle Dracula with Mina. Van Helsing follows with Mina's boring, jilted husband Arthur, Michael Goth, to continue his harassment, 
He wastes no time in chasing the Count through his own castle, kicking over his books and pulling down his curtains. Count Dracula disintegrates in the dawn light, free at last from nosy trespassers and homicidal, mallet-wielding grave defilers. The end. Is that what happened, Stephen? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. I mean, that is the, uh, the what do they call it in, our, in the United States, the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your thoughts on this on this wonderful film? Well, the interesting thing, and I think listeners will find out for our journey for Hammerama as we go through it, you know, sp- sporadically as the years go by, I've seen Hammer films before, but a lot of them I saw when I was a teenager watching Creature Feature at night and stuff like that. So I've, I'm, a lot of these I'm revisiting for the first time in some, in some cases decades later mm-hmm. and, and in some cases it might be the first time viewing depending on what movies we hit so i haven't seen dracula or the horror of dracula as it was in the united states in oh i would have to say at least 25 30 years wow yeah and so i got to watch it twice to do the podcast recently so i got to watch it back to back days and it holds up just to my memories when i watched it when i was a youth i saw it a couple times when i was a teenager it's just amazing i just love the portrayal of christopher lee's dracula To me, he was and is Dracula. I mean, it's just the the, the sexuality, the animal magnetism, the the strength that he shows, you know, with how he goes and moves through the screen, showing that power, that um, physique. It's just, it's just, amazing how much he's able to do with so little dialogue his body language his eye acting is spot on and the scene i love his eye acting the most and his body language when he's in the crypt in his coffin and as you said when um jonathan harker comes down to stake the count and the vampire woman and he goes for her first he hears her screaming and his eyes has that scared look on him like oh no i'm next and he looks over at the window and he's scared until he sees the sun set. And then how he just, his eyes relax. The smile comes across his face because he knows now the balance of power has shifted. And that's just amazing in those few seconds how he's able to get that all across. It's just, it's amazing performance. That's an excellent point, Stephen. I was thinking about that scene myself. It's like a hundred different emotions are flowing across his face. He, at the very beginning, he seems to be an extremely dangerous but cornered animal. And then gradually things swing in his favor and you realize that he has the advantage and he realizes it too. It's a, it's a wonderful scene with no dialogue whatsoever. It is, and I'm sure... People, when they watch it, are always going to wonder, why did he not stake the count first? I, I, <laughs> I look at it as she bit him earlier. So he wanted to get her first because it's like, well, you know, you got me first and then I'll go get you, you know? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. that's the only reason I can understand because why, why would you go for her first and not him? It's just because he, she had to you know, got him and um, he wanted to get her back. Completely agree. Unfortunately, the scene does sort of end slightly confusingly when Dracula re-enters the room 
after having been lying in his in his coffin. And I wonder if this film was maybe made today, if it would instead be Harker backing away from the empty coffin and maybe discovering Dracula standing behind him. But I think Lee re-entering the room and silently closing the door behind him, even though it doesn't really make any logical sense, it's it's a much more effective scene. Well, it gets, it has that sense of grandeur, plus you have the score. You're able to use oh, that yes. again as anytime he makes that entrance. I mean, it's come on. You can come you can be there lurking in the shadows, or you can enter with a a bang. Mm. You know, you can enter with pizzazz. Yeah. Christopher Lee's Dracula always enters with pizzazz in this movie <laughs> i couldn't agree more to be perfectly honest um even though this is my favorite hammer film on every alternate day i was kind of reluctantly anticipating having to watch it yet again for this episode i was sort of viewing that as a bit of a chore because the number of times that i've seen horror of dracula is well into the double figures i didn't really believe that i'd discover anything new either to enjoy or talk about with you however practically from the opening credits i was hooked i was completely hooked and the film still feels as fresh and exciting to me as the very first time that I saw it. As, as much as I love Curse of Frankenstein, to me, horror of Dracula is where Hammer Horror really begins. And glossing over maybe the unfortunate comedy relief from the border official played by George Benson. I mean, I'm sure people love George Benson. That wasn't really to my taste. But Apart from that, I really loved every minute of it. If I were to talk about my own favourite moment, everyone talks about the big moments, although to your credit, Stephen, you talked about a smaller moment as well. Having seen this film so often now, it's actually the smaller occurrences that really impress me. And although Hammer famously played down the supernatural aspects of Dracula, there are still some really creepy elements there if you watch carefully. Dracula snatching up Parker's heavy travel case as if it weighs absolutely nothing. But you can see he just effortlessly hoists it. But listen carefully whenever Lee ascends that staircase. Harker clatters noisily up those stairs, but right beside him, the Count's footsteps make no sound whatsoever. And he just glides, glides like a silent shadow, and it is as creepy as hell. I was noticing that too, when he went up effortlessly, and you can see yeah. Harker struggling to keep the pace. And, yes, that too, yes. And Dracula just having no problem, you know, just... just yeah. powerfully that's what i love about this this character that, that that sense of power which also we might i might add you can notice with peter cushing's portrayal of van helsing mm. because people remember the dracula from 1931 with bella lugosi yes. and the, the van helsing there is an old man and here you have a viral younger protagonist and mm -hmm. Van Helsing is ready for the fisticuffs. He's ready to run across that table, grab at the, the curtains. He's jumping stairs. He's going over railings. I mean, this is an action, a man of action. So both of them are upping the game with the action mm -hmm. level and the physicality. So you can believe that this character has a chance against this undead being because otherwise you if you if he was an old man you would never believe that they would ever have a chance one-on-one <laughs> -on -one. 
That's an extremely good point, Stephen. And the other two males in the film, Harker, obviously, he meets his fate early on, but you can't really believe that Michael Goff's Arthur Homewood would have any kind of chance at all against Dracula. Peter Cushing is so incredibly energetic that he actually looks as if he's moving in fast motion in certain moments. When they realise that Dracula is actually in the Homewood's own cellar, he bursts into action and it honestly looks as if the film is almost speeded up. He he races across the room. He vaults the staircase. He tears down those steps. It's a great scene, but I think it's also needed because at that point, the plot has almost slowed down to a standstill. It's still mesmerizing watching the actors, but in terms of action, it's almost completely stopped. And then suddenly, bang! It all explodes again. I think also at that point, until the until the end of the movie, it is just moving. I mean, now it's like it's like the mm. they, they put the pedal to the metal. We're just going straight to the end. It's it's nonstop. It's energetic. It's Absolutely, moving. you just love it. But one thing I want to add to your scene is mm. Peter Cushing. Even though he's always a man of action at that moment, from that point on, he's constantly thinking. Just before, because when he gets down there and sees the, the coffin sees it, op- pushes it open, sees the body's not in there. Count Dracula opens the door, sees him. It's like, I don't want to mess with this guy. Turns around the other <laughs> way. And before his Cushing first starts to dart to the door, he hesitates, turns around, takes the big crucifix off and puts it in the coffin. So it's like, you're not coming back here. I've eliminated right. this spot. So now you only have one way to go. So he doesn't have to worry about chasing all the way back to where his castle is and finding out that he's back in the basement again. He may be a man of action, but he's thinking for to undo first. Absolutely. I'm going to move on to our next section, which is comparing reviews of the film. What Stephen and I like to do in this section is compare a review of the film, the year that it came out, in this case, 1958, and then contrast that with as modern a review as we can possibly find. So in this case, I've got a 1958 review from the New York Daily News by Dorothy Masters. And she writes, Unlike most of Hollywood's quickies, Horror of Dracula has allocated time, thought, and talent to an enterprise which successfully recaptures the aura and patina of yesteryear's Middle Europe. Some of the photography is good enough to frame. I think that's something that we would probably agree with. And I'm going to contrast that with a review from 1996. Now, this review was written by the London Evening Standard when a cleaned up version of the film was screened to the public. And this review says, You don't have to be a train spotting geek to enjoy it. Unimpeachable and unsurpassed. So there we are, Stephen. What do you think of those? I think they're wonderful. And, I, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that. All right. We're going to move on to talking about the poster. Would you like to go first? There's a lot of different posters for Horror of Dracula that we could oh, pick yes. and talk about. Alistair, mm-hmm. being the artist that he is, picked <laughs> the, the particular one we're going to be talking about. And uh, I have to say, looking at all the posters, this is not <laughs> my favorite one of the one. And I'm looking at the Art of Hammer book. So I'm able mm-hmm. to see multiple posters. And this one... I'm trying, I like the bats. I like the castle in the background. I like the graveyard scene. I'm not too keen on the portrayal of how the, the artist rendered Christopher Lee's Dracula. It's mm-hmm. it's a little reptilian in some ways. It, it looks more monstrous than, it, than he really is in the movie. 
So I think that's an inaccurate portrayal of that. The woman being scared, like, because it says, who will be his bride tonight, doesn't really fit <laughs> with the picture. I mean, it's... It just it sticks out too much. It's it doesn't work. I'm not a trained artist, but to me, it's just it's just it's like okay, we need one other thing. Oh, let's stick her there, and everything's different in the coloring and everything else. It doesn't look like it fit. It looked like it was like just oh, let's put this person in there, and it doesn't work for me as much. The woman does look like she's throwing shapes on a dance floor rather than. Uh coiling in fear. Can't disagree with any of that, Stephen. And to be perfectly honest, I did choose this poster because let's just be perfectly honest, it's not great, but I believe there are solid reasons for why it's not great. You'll notice that I've chosen an American poster for Horror of Dracula, that rather than any of the of the British one. And that is because I think this poster reflects the initial confusion that American audiences and distributors might have had about this particular film. In the United States, Bela Lugosi was Dracula, and it was as simple as that. It's famously known that Universal agreed to distribute the film, that they insisted it was called Horror of Dracula in, in the United States to prevent any confusion with their original film. So what we have here is poster which is pretty much, to me anyway, hearkening back to the 1931 film. We've got a partially ruined castle, which of course is nothing like the castle Dracula that we see in the film. And we have Bats, which as I've mentioned before, is also very much a universal horrors icon rather than Hammer. We've also talked about why Hammer should stay away from Bats, but that's a different different conversation. Christopher Lee was completely unknown to American audiences. So the depiction of the Count that we have here, as you say, Stephen, it's a weird, monstrous, reptilian-looking, almost cartoonish figure, which does nothing to convey what audiences were about to experience. So yes, I think it's not a good poster, but it's probably doing the best that it can in promoting a film that clearly the distributor and the artist really knew nothing about at the time. What I will say, though, is that I do like the um, colour. I'm guessing it's a three-colour poster. We've got the red, the black, and blue. So what they've basically done is they've depicted the uh, flesh tones and also various different shades of blue by mixing the other two colours. I think that as a work of graphic art, I think it's quite effective. But in representing horror of Dracula in any way uh, accurately, it doesn't succeed. As we may have said before, we will include this poster in our show notes so that listeners can see what we are, what we are talking about. Now, there's a section we want to move on to, which is Stephen's Kingdom. He's already been tormenting me with his copy of The Art of Hammer, which is filled with autographs from Hammer stars. So, Stephen, this is your opportunity to tell us about meeting a star from The Horror of Dracula. It was, a, it was about 2018, and I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough at Monster Bash, north of Pittsburgh, to meet Janea Faye, who played the girl. So she has a pivotal part in the movie. She's in several scenes. And uh, her memories of the movie and working with Hammer was great during the Q&A. I think if I remember correctly, she talked about how Peter Cushing would try to keep her from going to certain parts of the set or not mm-hmm. seeing Christopher Lee when he was dressed up as Dracula because he didn't want her to be scared and, and, <laughs> and those kind of things and how he was so protective of her. When I see in the movie how Van Helsing 
is comforting her after Lucy, you know, almost attacked her and that kind of stuff and how he's doing the comforting, putting his um, jacket around her, handing her to his cross, his crucifix or cross and talking to her about, oh, you're going to see the sunrise right over there and you're going to be okay. I think from knowing her remembrances of the movie, I think of that as almost like the same way he was treating her in real life. And to hear, because you always hear the stories of Peter Cushing being such a gentleman, such a, a caring individual about everybody. And it just so much fits with what we know about him from other people's interactions. And it's just, and to me, when I see that scene, it fits with that story of what she was telling us about her past experiences when she was a girl. And it was just lovely how it just intermeshed together. And she really enjoyed doing that film. Of course, she was very young then, you know, so yes. her, her memories are somewhat limited as they would be for people that are, were adults. It's, it's, it's hard to remember every little thing because I think she's probably about 10 or 11 years old when this was filmed. So how was she as a person? Was she warm and forthcoming? Oh, she was, she was very nice. Um, we had a, a conversation with her at her table and stuff like that. And she was very accommodating, very, she was playing up. Mm. I, I think if I remember correctly, she was kept telling us that we have to see, don't take candy from strangers. She really likes yes. that movie. She uh, enjoyed doing that one. So she has a lot of fond memories of that production. She's very proud of that one. She's proud of all of her work, but I think particularly yeah. of Don't Take Candy from Strangers because I think it was a bigger, obviously a bigger role for her. And it was later in her life, so she has more memories of that that are fresher, so to speak. And Sure, but, sure. But she was just so accommodating with all the fans. And I've yet to meet anybody at a convention whether it be Monster Bash, Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, which are the two big conventions that I like to go to, that is not accommodating, not nice or kind, and really there to do it for the fans. They're not out. They like to have that chance to give back to the people that helped them out with their livelihood or to reminisce about those olden days. And I, I appreciate that. And it, I think they get a lot of it too because we as fans get a chance to show them that we really cared and enjoyed the work that they did. Very nice. She's she's also very, very short. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe you're just really, really tall. It could be both. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that tall. I consider myself just average. I'm just a little under six foot three. Okay, so we're not quite talking... Christopher Lee height. Christopher Not Lee quite. had me by two in inches and, and, and a smidgen more. <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't the first time I'm going to feel extremely envious of your experiences of meeting Hammerstars. We're going to move on to the next section now, which is basically where I try and form connections between this film and other adventures in the Hammerverse. This is, of course, relating to my book Infogothic, Unauthorized Graphic Guide to Hammer Horror. Now, this is going to be a very light segment this week because uh, we are at the very beginning of the Hammer Dracula cycle. So we don't as yet have anything else to form connective tissue with. But however, as we progress, we'll find that uh, during the events of this film, Count Dracula was also either dead and buried in St. Bartolf's Churchyard, London, for 100 years, or alternatively spending that same century in the body of an evil Taoist priest reigning over a cursed village in mainland China. So you can see that we've got some things to iron out in episodes to come. I'd like to think of them as the anomalies in the Hammer multiverse. 
The next section we're going to talk about is merchandise. Now, I was discussing with Stephen that it's kind of nice to try and find something that is a little bit unexpected, which sort of ties in with this particular movie. Stephen, sorry, I haven't given you any preparation, but did you have anything that you wanted to talk about here? An interesting thing, and Mm -hmm. I have a parodies, Count Dracula with Christopher Lee socks. (laughs) 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 It's not exactly like something you'd normally think like, Oh, I just saw the movie. Let me go get the socks. You know, but <laughs> I saw it at a convention. It was it was like priced for five dollars. It was priced to move, and I was just like, something that said, "Why not?" <laughs> and they're just a little too small, or my feet are a little too big. Whatever we want to look at it, because I got thirteen wides, and it says it can go up to thirteen. I think my feet are wide. They don't really fit properly, but I guess that'll keep them in more pristine condition. <laughs> Well, I have to say, I thought it was you who was going to be unprepared, but it was me that was unprepared for that. That's that's brilliant. Hey, I'm going to talk about something a little bit different. It's a novella by Stephen Volk, which was published in 2013 to mark the centenary of Peter Cushing's birth. I'm just going to start with a quote. And he was coming towards you. And your eyes went like this, and you saw the red curtains, and you jumped up, and you ran across the long, long table, and tore them down, and sunlight poured in. So in this passage, a young boy is excitedly recounting the climax of Hammer's Horror of Dracula to the actor Peter Cushing. But he isn't just after an autograph. He wants Dr. Van Helsing to save him from a real vampire. Stephen said when I first mentioned this, wow, this sounds a little bit like Fright Night. And that might have been an interesting way to go. But this novella actually goes into much darker territory. Actually, in only 132 pages, Whitstable puts the reader and Cushing himself through the emotional ringer in ways that Van Helsing's worst nightmares probably couldn't match. Now, this book may strike you one of two ways, because putting real people into into fictional situations is not new. And it kind of strikes me here that more than ever that using public figure and all that we know about his loves and hopes and fears and vulnerabilities in a concocted tale might sort of be treading a fine line of good taste. But having said that, many people who've read Whitstable have said that they hoped Cushing would prove. And that's my sentiment as well. It might be harrowing and challenging, but Whitstable is still a a loving tribute to Cushing for his countless films. And even though the vampire that the boy refers to is a predator of a real and really disturbing nature, good does finally triumph over evil. I don't think that's a spoiler. So this is highly recommended. Whitstable by Stephen Volk, but don't expect a gentle ride. Yeah, I never, I've never heard of that. And you have me interested to, to read through it because it does take things in a different direction than you would think when you first were telling me mm. about the synopsis briefly. And it takes things into a more realistic portrayal of monstrous actions. Now, Stephen, I'm going to move us on to our closing thoughts or closing thought about Horror of Dracula. Would you like to go first? Oh, sure, Alistair. Like I said earlier on, I really enjoyed coming back and revisiting this. And I think that's the one advantage I'm going to have over you and most of this is that I'll have that gap 
So I'll be able to see it with more fresher eyes. And I think mm. that's going to make it interesting because you'll, you'll have that experience of watching these, these classic gems over and over. And I'll have that little more of a, a the newbie take, so to speak, without really being a newbie. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of interesting. But there's two things I wanted to bring up that I really loved about the movie. Melissa Streplin's yes. return was Mina. When Mina comes back from the night with the count. And again, going back to body language and facial expressions. You can tell she really enjoyed her night with the count. I mean, it was just, since she comes in, it was, I've never seen, uh, I'm using air quotes, people, victim of the count come back so happy, <laughs> uh, so to speak. And it was, it was the way, the way she chose to portray it and go through it. And I believe it was with Terrence Fisher's direction. If I remember reading correctly to come back like that. It, it was just, um, when you're watching it for the first time in a long time, it just hits you right. Like, Whoa, she really enjoyed this night. <laughs> I'm really pleased that you mentioned that Stephen, because I, I think that is secretly my favorite scene in horror of Dracula. It's a wonderful scene, but also in the overall history of Dracula, I think it's very, very important. Hammer brought the sexuality and physicality back to the story, but it was always there. In fact, I think if you were to, to distill Dracula right down, it's actually all about repressed Englishmen, terrified that foreign chappies might be better in bed than they are. And that essentially is what Dracula is all about. And uh, the wonderful Melissa Stribling just absolutely conveys that perfectly. Well, especially if you're com if you're comparing Count Dracula with Arthur Holmwood, played by Michael Goff, <laughs> as just this you know, uh, limp noodle. <laughs> <laughs> We love Michael Goff, obviously, and in his long, long filmography, he's he's played some wonderful roles. But here, yes, he absolutely is a limp noodle. That's perfectly put. And the other thing I wanted to mention goes back to when you talked about the older review to the contemporary reviews. Jack Asher's cinematography, I agree with the first one, is amazing. You, because I always believe you have to put the two together, the director and the cinematographer. And when they're able to work in sync and get the cinematographer is able to get the director's vision across. It's really a sight to see, and this was a sight to see. I can only agree. I'm sort of well aware of how sumptuous the cinematography is, but that doesn't stop it hitting me every single time. In fact, there were key key scenes where I was actually spending all my time looking over a character's shoulder or looking through an open doorway to just really drink in the, the wonderful composition and color. This isn't just a horror film, folks. This, this is a beautifully filmed uh, motion picture, which in any genre is a real feast for the eyes. And obviously we can't recommend highly enough. Oh, definitely I recommend it. And Alistair, what are your closing thoughts um, that you want to dovetail in? I would just say quite simply that this film is utterly essential not only in Hammer's own catalogue, not only in the whole of British cinema, but I believe in motion picture history in general. If you're a student of film, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a, 
If you're a Hammer fan, this is a film that you absolutely need to see. I'm also going to finish by just mentioning one other scene, which is a perfect marriage of an acting performance, the incredible soundtrack, and the cinematography. And that is the first time that Dracula visits Lucy while she's lying in bed waiting for him to appear. The soundtrack to Horror of Dracula can be bombastic when it needs to be, but at other times it's quite insidious. It's swirls away in the background and it gradually produces a mood and this is one scene where it absolutely does that Lucy's lying in bed and outside there's leaves falling I think conveys a sense of decay as well the fallen leaves have obviously died they're falling from a tree that's past its past its prime and its and its life cycle the music builds and builds and then finally Dracula appears framed in the doorway. It sort of harkens back to his first appearance on top of the stairway to welcome Harker. That silhouette of Christopher Lee, all six foot five of him, this film really, really shows that he is Dracula. Well said. <laughs> well... I could go I could go on for hours but as we've agreed Stephen what we really want to do with this podcast is we don't want to just regurgitate information that can be easily found elsewhere we don't want to quote other <laughs> other experts <laughs> <laughs> That's a little arrogant of me. We don't want to quote well-known experts. We really want to give our own views as concisely as possible to people who hopefully may not have seen these films before and, and maybe encourage them to seek them out for themselves. Oh, I agree, because people could be like myself that hadn't seen them in a number of years or decades, and there's a lot of people that haven't seen it at all, and these movies are readily available, and some of them even more so than they ever used to be with different collections and Blu-ray releases and DVDs that are out there. So it's it's actually getting easier to find a lot of these Hammer movies that we're going to be talking about. It is, and in fact, with, with this particular film, when I came to watch it this time, I was kind of surprised to find that I actually own it three times over. <laughs> <laughs> so... That was Horror of Dracula. Stephen, shall we close by telling everyone what we're going to be doing for our next episode? Let's roll the die and see what number we get. Number four. I believe that's sci-fi. That is Hammer Sci-Fi. So which one do you think we should do, Alistair? We got we got a four, we got science fiction. Mm-hmm. I think what we'll do is that rather than starting at the beginning of a series, as we did with this one, I'm going to start at the end of a series. And I'm going to suggest that we do the third Quatermass film, Quatermass and the Pit. Once again, wonderfully filmed, sumptuous color, creepy as hell. So basically your normal Hammer movie. <laughs> basically your normal <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty much and of course we have lovely barbara shelley in it as well so looking forward very much to doing this one with you Stephen. and so am i well i think we've come to the end of our episode we really hope listeners that you enjoyed it and that you will join us again next time please feel free to send any feedback that you like this is our first episode and no doubt there are many many things we can improve upon but we look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to talking about quatermass in the pit 
Yes, we do. And, and listeners, um, this series will be coming in and out. Other episodes with Diecast Movie Podcast. So another movie could be, the next episode could be a movie decided by the role of a die or an interview or the continuation of Hammerama. <laughs> Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast.